today's presentation is on storytelling. Uh, but I thought before I started talking, sharing anything, if you had any kind of general questions or anything, open up the floor here for a quick second and I can uh, try and customize some of the things I'm going to say based on what some of your needs are and I can dive right in. No questions, no thoughts. All right, so know that I only have a hundred slides to share and uh, I'll try and get through all of them very quickly. Uh, but all seriousness, a good storyteller is telling stories. They're not gonna share a hundred slides or depend on a slide presentation uh, to tell their stories. So when you look at your projects and the target audiences that you're trying to reach, you wanna make sure that uh, you know, you're customizing something that's more as a support system for you than it is like a crutch. It can be visual if you're doing a presentation or it's gonna be auditory. So as I've asked for you to you know, come on board and, and show yourselves, because I can do better if I'm feeding off of energy. If you think of like a theater presentation, right? Uh, you don't see a lot of theater during COVID because there's no audiences that are in there. Uh, so you're watching people perform to a screen. Uh, we can tell stories this way, but at the same time, when we're in that face-to-face -face environment, you're going to see how somebody reacts. You're going to see if they have questions, body language, all that kind of stuff, it becomes really helpful in that process. So uh, I'm going to share a bunch of stories with you and uh, I'll share my screen here in uh, just a second. But when I do that, uh, if there's a question that you have that you are like just dying to pop something in, I encourage you uh, to go ahead and ask a question. Okay, don't feel like you have to wait to the very end of a presentation. Uh, the slide count literally is, is closer uh, to 20, you may see my screen on the left, so you'll have a, a snapshot of that as, as we go forward, okay? So I am going to move on. So takeaways for today is number one, you are the answer because you're going to be the one who's the storyteller. Uh, it's not easy, right? You know, you have to feel comfortable with your stories. Uh, you have to uh, see that it's natural. You have to believe in what you're talking about uh, and uh, understand that People don't remember statistics and numbers. It doesn't happen. Uh, even like, you know, we'll say we're going to remove, you know, 1.7 million cubic yards of sediment out of a dam. What is 1.7 million cubic yards? Anybody know what 1.7 million cubic yards is? I see a no. Edgar, you're going to be my poster child, man, because you're on screen. Uh, so you, you stay on there. Uh, so what happens is, no, people won't remember that. But if I told you we're going to remove enough sediment to fill the Rose Bowl three times, that gives you a kind of visual to how much sediment that's going to be. We'll keep going. This is uh, me when I graduated from school back in uh, 1991. I went to San Diego State University, and the reason I, I throw this slide in is, is, is part of my own story, right? I was, I'm going to share who I am with you. I can talk about agency stuff till I'm blue in the face, but I want you to kind of get to know me personally. Also, I want to provide some tips along the journey that in addition to storytelling might also help you as you're looking for jobs when you come out of school. If you have any questions towards the end in regards to mentorship or resumes or what the PR field is like right now, I'm really you know more than glad to share. Uh, any feedback I can during that part of the presentation too. So 
uh, the person on the left who looks a little bit like WC Fields uh, in the middle uh, of the screen there, it's a guy named Dave Nuffer. Dave came and spoke to my class uh, and I asked Dave a question. I challenged him about how he personally lost the San Diego Padre account. And uh, I looked at me and I didn't realize I was kind of rude how I asked the question. And uh, he asked me what my name was and he answered the question. He said, I was going to be honest. I'll share the question. And after the class, I went up and I talked to him and apologized. I didn't mean to be rude. I just was curious about what had happened and he said, no, I'd share it with you. And what's your name? And so I gave him my name. And uh, when I graduated, his agency was the only one I wanted to work for. And he did an informational interview with me. And I had what I considered the world's best resume. It was pretty loaded. I was on a homecoming court. I was a resident advisor, put on a ton of programs on campus, let alone having a previous career because I graduated uh, 10 years after high school. And so when talking with Dave, uh, he said, Scott, I don't care about any of that stuff. You could, I care about three things. Is I want to know where you interned. I want to know who your clients were. And I want to know what were the results you got for your efforts. I changed my resume. And the guy who I'm shaking hands with on the right, that's Glenn Broom. And Glenn uh, was a teacher at San Diego State for public relations. He's actually written a book on PR that your school might be using. And uh, Glenn was a, a, a great mentor and friend. And he said, the Gable Group is hiring. And it was a small PR shop in uh, San Diego. And I applied and I, I met this guy in the bottom left-hand corner. And his name is Scott Allison, as in Allison and Partners. And today he and I have been together for almost 30 years. So it's, it's, it's a great relationship and real proud of, of what he and I have built. Uh, today, Allison and Partners has more than 30 offices around the globe. Uh, so what's great about the work that we get to do and the storytelling we get to do is internationally. And we get to talk about a lot of the types of brands that the agency works with. This is just a small amount of some of the clients that we work with today. Uh, but we become the official storytellers for these folks, right? Uh, have you all, uh, and, and Edgar, I don't know how you can answer this for everybody, but uh, have you learned about the peso model at schools? Are you familiar with that one? I see what model peso. No, I haven't then. Okay. So for uh, everyone on the phone, the peso model, which is all about storytelling. Uh, so I encourage you, I, I wish I could say we made this up, but it, you can find it online. Peso stands for paid, earned, shared, and owned media. And those are all formats for sharing your story. So let's say for instance, uh, Bud Weiser is one of our clients. We've been with Bud for uh, maybe six months or so. I don't work on this particular piece of business, but there's a story you might be familiar with that this year they uh, utilized their money for the Super Bowl ad and canceled the Super Bowl ad and chose to use it to help raise awareness and education about vaccines. And so they ended up getting more earned media, i.e. public relations, from telling that story than they would have if they had just posted an advertisement for their campaign during that time frame. So it becomes a good win-win. Uh, when you look at shared, is they can share that through influencers. They can share that through their team members. They can share it through their executives. Owned is the content that they create that's gonna be on their website so they can control the messaging that people are going to see. They're not dependent 
on what an earned media reporter is going to say because they can put that content up themselves. Uh, does that all make sense? Great. And uh, I'll keep moving on. Again, anybody has a question, please don't hesitate to kind of chime in uh, in the process. So first and foremost, you know, we talked about the PESO model briefly, but where do folks hear their stories? Where do they get their stories? So there's the media. Uh, and from a news perspective, you know, up until the last four or five years, I'd say most of us trusted it, the news. We trusted what we heard. But I think what we've seen through the different government systems, not to take a side right or left, that we've seen media show more bias in the uh, last four years. So it's interesting to understand that when you're talking to the media, because if you're going to share something that's leaning more to the right, then you, you have to understand the audience that you're talking to. If you're telling a story that's leaning to folks to the left, you have to be careful to, you know, how you communicate into that audience. Uh, but people are getting their information from a lot of different places right now. Uh, most of you probably get news from Instagram or Twitter. Or, uh, it could be TikTok. I mean, there's so many different places. Uh, you probably follow certain blogs. Uh, one of the things that you're going to hear uh, about me uh, over this uh, conversation uh, is you're going to see and hear a lot of things that make me kind of like a pop culture dork. Uh, is I read comic books watch soap operas. I watch Star Trek and science fiction shows. One of the things that's good for me in that is that somewhere in this arena, I'm going to speak to somebody who has the same passion as I do. I can talk about uh, the weekend's final four. I can talk about that uh, game at UCLA, or I can talk about the Stanford, Arizona women's game. All these things re become really important as you're sharing stories. Anybody know why that's important? why special events would be important. Because it tells a story. It tells tell um, a story and you become more human. Meaning I'm gonna tell you a story about my product. Product today is gonna to be this blue water bottle. I'm gonna sell all of you this blue water bottle. I want you all to buy this blue water bottle. Now, I can go in, I can tell you it'll keep a product cold, or it could keep a product warm. I can tell you it bounces. I can tell you that uh, it's not going to break. I can sell you all kinds of things, but it's all tactical around the product itself. How many people buy a product for the sake of buying a product? If I have a need, I may buy the product, right? And that's the only time I'm gonna buy that product. But if I'm going out today, Edgar and I are going to the bar and Edgar, you go by JP more than uh, Edgar? That is correct, yes. All right, so uh, I have a daughter named JB. So uh, we'll, we'll go JP. So JP and I are out at a bar and we're not talking about water bottles. We're talking about what's happening on the TV. We're going to talk about what happened at school today. But then what ends up happening is in the conversation, I'm going to say, hey, Edgar, I got this really cool brand new blue water bottle. That's some great stuff. I, I love it. You know, you're telling me you do a lot of hiking and stuff. You might want to try out that blue bottle. And all of a sudden he's hearing it conversationally. And also he's already built some trust with me in our conversations. And uh, with influencers, it's really interesting. We did a study, uh, I'll forward this uh, over 
to your team in which we did an influencer paper in regards to nonprofit support. And, and when we surveyed these influencers, what we found out in people who followed influencers that more than 38% of those folks would make a donation to a cause or volunteer for a cause if it were associated authentically with an influencer. So what does that mean? It means that Scott Pansky is a cause marketing influencer and I have 5,000 followers who care about cause related marketing. And I've been touched by an issue and I'm going to post it online that my wife is ill and I anybody can help out. I want you to go to uh, the Lymphoma Research Foundation and, and make a donation. 38% of my followers are likely to make a donation or do something to help out. And that's really significant when you compare it to like a direct mail piece. Direct mail piece gets one to 3%. So to know the power of influence and in storytelling, that's pretty cool. So just note that these are all locations and areas that people will pick up on messaging. One of our clients is Impossible Foods. The uh, reason I, I throw this up early is I don't work on this account either. This is just a case study. Don't know if you can read it from what you're seeing, but this is recorded so you can go back and, and read it in more depth. But what's interesting is in it, we've been with Impossible since it started. Today, Impossible is a household name. It started off very grassroots. Uh, Impossible made their uh, burgers that look and feel like a real burger. They bleed like a real burger, but made out of beets and other uh, plant-based products. And then uh, we worked with uh, professional chefs and a lot of small restaurants. Next thing you know, you get great word of mouth, some good media because it tastes really good. Not making any of that up. I, I love Impossible Burgers. And next thing you know, Burger King creates an Impossible Whopper. So it really becomes more household. Uh, they also sell now Impossible uh, Burgers in grocery stores. And it all started out grassroots. Uh, it's really amazing stuff. So what's it take to make a great story? Let's break it down a little bit. So the first thing you've got to ask yourself is understanding who your target audiences are. So if you're going to pitch your product and what you're building to somebody, who's in the audience? What do they care about? Is it just an instructor? Is it a client? Is it an investor? Who is it that you're talking with? And understand what do they know about your product and what they don't know about your product so that you can really determine how you want to get them to what they should know about your product. How do we get them from A to B? So right now I might have a general awareness about what you do, but is there more you want me to know? And that's got to be the art of storytelling throughout that process. So it's understand who the target audience is and what do you want them to know? So the first thing is you're going to want to have a point of view. And, and when you look at your story is, why are you creating this product or service? There's a reason to create that product or service. And so you're going to basically create those supporting messages that why you needed to do this and then have a story to support it. Uh, so if you think about it, and I'm trying to break it down, I've got some further breakdown here in a second, is I care about the environment. All right, why do I care about the environment? Well, climate's changing. We're seeing more storms, more fires. Uh, there's a lot of impact that's going on with climate right now. And so how and why is that important? So if I bring up those statistics, that can help bring it to life. Now I may have a story of what I'm going to do to solve an issue within climate control and, and help make change. 
So if we start at the base is, you know, something that's going to be interesting, it's ownable by me, right? This is why we're doing it. Something that we care about. So when I was in my PR course, I use it at school, I created uh, hobbies and, you know, I enjoyed uh, comic books. Our campaign was trying to reach adults and kids. You throw away comic books? No, comic books are collectible. Uh, you might recognize some of the characters that are in comic books. Uh, so how and can I tap that to work on a resource of what we're doing and how can I deliver upon that? So you see Archie comic book here. Let me share another visual story. When I was in school, I worked on a PR plan, really thick tech. I think you guys can all see that. It's a lot of hard work. And our client was the city of San Diego's waste management department. And I didn't want to do the research and the storytelling up front. And to me, that was kind of boring. I wanted to do the tactical stuff. What would be really cool? So I created a dog. His name is Nontox. And he was going to be our spokesperson. And he was going to go around the community and educate everybody about the importance of household hazardous materials, waste management. And uh, we got an A on the project. That was pretty cool. I graduated from school, as I mentioned, back in 1991. Well, similar to the environment that you're all going into, there was uh, 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 lack of jobs. You know, uh, at that time, it was a bust in the real estate industry. Today, we're recovering from COVID. So how and where was I going to get a job? And I was working in uh, sporting goods. I was working at a, a sports chalet back in the day. And then uh, I got to work as a mentor with high school students. And we took a tour of the waste management department. And I talked to their public information officer and said, excuse me, did you ever get to see our plan? And she said, no, she was new. So I had an opportunity to bring my plan into her and showed it to her. And she offered me an internship. And for 15 bucks an hour and back in you know the early 90s, that's about $25 probably today, uh, was what I was getting paid. And I was happy to do that. And I was going on my weekly run to the comic book store and I saw the comic book on the left and I brought it into work and I told her, I said, I think we should do a custom comic book for the city of San Diego. Uh, yeah, you know, we host the comic con every year. It would be pretty cool if we could do something. And, uh, she said, put up her hand in my face said, that's nice. Put it in a folder. So I did. And uh, I was really surprised. Like she should have shown some interest, but zero. Uh, and then I get the call from Glenn Broom that Scott Allison is looking for somebody. I get hired and they're pitching the county of San Diego and the city for their household hazardous materials program. And I just happened to have my file with me. I showed him this comic book. He said, go to the Comic-Con, see what you can do. So my agency paid for me to go to the San Diego Comic-Con. I went to the Archie Comics booth. I met their editor. He said, I love the idea. I think it's great. So they wrote me a letter that had a value of $600,000 to use Archie's licensing for free. They would create the comic book for free. We just had to pay for the printing. They gave us artwork for posters and uh, public service announcements. They gave us a big, huge archie head for walk around events and things of that nature we submitted the proposal and we won the business and that's the comic book now that you see on the right 
we printed 250,000 of those comic books and used them as an educational tool to go into elementary and high schools across the country. It, it really was uh, good enough to reach all audiences. What's interesting about the comic book today is all of you should know their characters, right? They're on TV. They're on Riverdale. And so it's interesting to see that it's a property just like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to die. But meanwhile, we did public service announcements uh, on television uh, shows all throughout San Diego. We had slides before movies uh, in the movie theaters that showed uh, Archie and talking about uh, proper disposal. We had public service announcements that were in newspapers and coloring contests that were in Ralph's grocery stores. All this was generated tactically from a plan that I wrote when I was in college. So I want you to see the value of what you're doing today and how this storytelling still works, even to what we're doing uh, in the real world. So then we get to our supporting messages and you'll have your point of view. And this is where some of those statistics can come through. Uh, but, you know, you really don't want to have more than three points. You can always, in a deeper dialogue, share a lot more, but people aren't going to remember a lot more than three. And so I think that's important uh, is to make sure you have your messaging down kind of really tight to who you want to reach uh, and understand that you're trying to make an impact. I'm sorry, I've got two screens here, a small one here. I'm looking at you, bigger monitor over here. Uh, so one of the things about a story is there's a hero, right? In this case, you're the hero of your story or your product is the hero of the story. But how do they become that product? And that's where all those proof points that came earlier and uh, your perspectives at the beginning. So always remember, you know, it's easy to get to these folks through storytelling. And that is the niche of what we're really trying to grow here. So to prepare your stories, you know, before you go in to a meeting is you want to review your messaging. And again, remember who your target audience is. Talk through the questions that you think the audience is going to ask you, right? So, you know, prior to me doing this presentation, when I talk to your instructor and they tell me about some of the things that you're interested in, all right, how do I even put together a presentation that might entertain you? yet still inform you so that I'm prepared for questions that you may ask during this conversation. Uh, I encourage folks to rehearse out loud. It's important that you're comfortable in what you're saying. You can practice in front of a mirror or something, but I tell you, to, at least for me, what's most comfortable is just practicing with a friend or a family member. You don't need to have a lot of people around. And if you are doing a large group presentation, that's what's great about classes and being able to rehearse in, in class. And it's funny is I'll always ask people in the class questions. Did that sound well? Is it, what else do you feel I'm missing? So that instead of me just going up and presenting and a teacher saying, good job, is by asking those questions of others, somebody may say, oh, well, that part you were saying didn't make sense to me. Oh, okay. I, I know what I can do to make a fix. Uh, when I do presentations, just like what I'm doing now, I'll stop and I'm going to stop here in a second. I'm going to ask a question. Does this all make sense? Do you have questions? Because if I haven't hit it up in this part of the storytelling, because that's the pyramid for telling the story, the rest is just going to be storytelling pretty much. So I want to make sure I've answered your question in regards to the process. So I'll throw that out now. Any questions up to this point? It's a quiet group. I'm going to assume I'm doing a great job. Uh, so as, as we go forward, 
Uh, hey, hey, Scott, you're doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, in, in building your story, one of the things I find is really important is long-term relationships. Long-term relationships help you uh, with referrals. They help you get in the door and get further information to do different things. Uh, you know, I'm speaking with you today because uh, Dave Forges, who works on campus, is a friend of mine. I've known Dave for almost 20 years. And since he's been at Cal Poly, he's reached out to me a couple of times saying, hey, Scott, I know you have a PR firm. Would you uh, help out a student who's looking to do a paper? And sure, I'm be glad to talk to that student. Uh, while we were talking this time, there was an opportunity to sponsor your program. And I said, you know, I don't have that, but I'm glad to talk to a group. And that led to this presentation. Uh, one of the things that I've seen in presentations is that people get hung up in their storytelling because they feel like they're selling something. You know, I could be selling you the blue bottle. I don't want to sell you the blue bottle. I could be selling you, you know, a lot of people look at presentations as if you're going to uh, a car uh, dealership, right? Oh man, I, I've got to go and tell this you know, story. I've got to sell a car. That's not what it is. In my mind, and how I try to help everybody in these types of presentations is it's storytelling. That's all it is. It's education. You're educating them about the product. If I go back to the example I used with JP earlier and that we're at the bar, we're having a lovely conversation. We're not even talking about the blue water bottle. And then when I start talking to him about the blue water bottle, it's because it's conversational. It's a friendship. Now, if it's going to be a formal presentation, right? And I, I got to go in there and I'm going to present this. How can I build relationships in the room? Here's what happens before I present the blue water bottle. I'm presenting today on the blue water bottle. Whole presentation is all about the blue water bottle. I've got 12 slides just on the water bottle, but my God, did you guys see that final four game on Saturday? UCLA was in it. UCLA could have won that game. They were this close to winning. It was a heartbreaker. I've not seen a three-point shot like that in, in college basketball in more than 20 years. I could be having a conversation with the people in the room for five or 10 minutes before my formal presentation starts. People may like me personally because of that. What could be based on even this slide? Why could people like me? You're asking why? Yep. Why would people like you? Because like you said, you're telling a story, feeling uh, making it more humane. More so humane. You're more, more personal with, with the situation. You're getting them involved into something that they also may like. Yep. That's, that's, that's one. What else? I need help or I'm going to start picking on people. And I've done that before. I, I thought at UCLA for 18 years. So who wants to jump in before I call out a name? I typed in the chat that it's a way for you to connect with them. It's a way to connect with them. Look at this slide. Um, and, and what do you see? Vacation. <laughs> see vacation. What else? People. See so, people. Who are those people? Don't know. Could be different people. Yeah, Just, different people, but that's me on the left, right? Yeah. And so let's make the assumption that that's my family. 
Oh, I see. To the left side, right? So you can make some assumptions about me by looking at my pictures. Uh, if I go, let's see, go backwards for a second. In this presentation, I started with a picture of my daughters. So you can see Scott's family guy. Now today, two of those uh, girls in the picture are the same age as you guys. Uh, one is a senior at Bucknell University. The other is a sophomore at uh, UCLA. I, I've shared with you my mentors, my partner, my graduation. I've shared with you a little bit about the company. And you notice I didn't put how many awards we won or any of that kind of stuff. I'm showing you people. I'm showing you that we care about people. Uh, clients, you, know, you get an idea of the types of things that we do, but I don't have to talk about every single client, but it gives some credibility uh, as part of the storytelling. And then as I, I gave you the impossible story and I, I share with you an Archie comic book story, what I'm hoping the takeaway that you're going to get from this is there's different ways to tell a story. There's visual and then there's conversational. Uh, and so keep that in mind as you're doing your presentations that you humanize yourself uh, when you're building relationships. It's not sales. Give you an, another dorky example here. So Scott Pansky, as I mentioned, watches soap operas. I haven't watched them in a long time, but I grew up watching Days of Our Lives. Any, anybody watch Days of Our Lives here? Chime in if anybody. JP is not a soap guy. Anybody my else? Won't. My sister. Was there somebody else who's watched days? I was more a general hospital guy. General hospital guy. Okay. So my thing is when I, I was, uh, my mom watched days of our lives when I was growing up. So I'd come home from school and I'd watch the show. And I, to be honest, would start having crushes on some of the actresses because they have some pretty attractive young people on the show. And uh, fast forward, you know, many, many years. Uh, and I'm working with a woman from Mrs. Fields Cookies, and she wanted to put together a partnership uh, with one of the, they called at the time, the Seven Sisters magazine. That was like Family Circus and uh, Vanity Fair, Cosmo. There was a, a seven that really reached a women demographic audience, and nobody was interested in supporting the 10-year anniversary of Mrs. Fields Cookies. When I was at San Diego State, one more back step, I mentioned I was an RA and uh, one day my desk assistant uh, was wearing a really nice sweatshirt and I complimented her on her uh, sweatshirt and she said, do you want it? And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, come by my apartment. So I went to her apartment and this woman answers the door. She's got curlers in her hair and a bathrobe on. And I start to walk into her apartment. She goes, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm here to see your roommate to get her sweater. She says, I don't know who you are. And she forced me to stay outside. And she sits down and starts watching an episode of Days of Our Lives. And because I know the show, it's like, oh, Hope's still on that show. And she turns around, you know, Bo and Hope. And we just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. Uh, you never know where a soap opera could take you. Uh, so we fast forward. My wife and I had gone to an AIDS Project Los Angeles event. And we had won an auction item to take a tour of the set of Days of Our Lives. And so we uh, take the tour, we meet the uh, PR people and the actors and actresses and whatnot. And I told this to the woman who represented Mrs. Fields. I said, maybe you do something with Days of Our Lives instead of doing something with a magazine. She says, 
soap opera? I said, yeah, you're reaching the same demographic as those publications. I just came off this tour. Let me make a phone call. So Mrs. Fields hires us and we develop a partnership with the head of PR and the producer of Days of Our Lives to create a three-way partnership between them. And we found out during our conversations, they were doing a storyline in which one of uh, the characters on the show, the woman on the left, her name is Nadia Bjorland. On the show, she plays a character named Chloe. It's going to have leukemia. And we brought in the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and uh, Mrs. Fields and Days of Our Lives for a promotion. Now, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, they ended up having point of purchase with Days of Our Lives characters at all of the Mrs. Fields locations. They distributed more than eight and a half million brochures for the Light the Night walks with the Days of Our Lives logo and Mrs. Fields logo on the brochures. There's a lot of press and stuff that we were doing. But what was even better for everybody is they incorporated the Light the Night walk on the show. The actors in real life participated in walks across the country. And Nadia became a spokesperson for the lymphoma, uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It was a huge integrated campaign. It had never been done in daytime television. And it all started because Scott Pansky was a fan of Dates of Our Lives. It just happened to be what each of the partners needed. Uh, so what does that have to do with Star Trek? There is like no connection to the two whatsoever, right? And in real life, there really isn't. Uh, but what's interesting is this is the PR person for Days of Our Lives in the middle of our campaign left and took a job at Paramount. And in addition to having, you know, Mrs. Fields as a client at the time, one of my other clients was Sony. And uh, Sony, we represented their professional cameras. These are the ones that shoot the movies and shoot the TV shows. And they had 4K cameras. And so we were trying to get PR with their trade publication so that more uh, producers would choose that type of camera, digital camera, instead of film. And being the Star Trek fan that I am, I'm reading a Star Trek blog, and I saw that they announced that they're using a 4K camera for season four of Star Trek Enterprise. I thought that was kind of interesting. But my dear friend who worked at Days of Our Lives now works for Paramount. So I gave him a call and I said, you don't happen to work on Star Trek, do you? And he says, oh, that's one of the several shows that I'm assigned to. I said, oh, that's awesome. One of our clients is Sony. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, I saw this blog post. Do they like the camera? Were they just trying to save money? Could you check? So he went and he checked and he said it was both. They had to save budget and that's why they went to a digital camera. And then uh, that they uh, really liked what they were seeing from utilizing a digital camera because they could make changes right on the spot instead of waiting for the film to be processed and review the content and having to do a reshoot they could do it right then and there based on what they could see in the quality of production you could see if an actor was sweating too much you could see if part of the clothing was in the wrong place there were so many different things you could do with digital that you couldn't do with film so i said you know i'd love to do a press event with you all to show the camera maybe we could do a panel or something and so he went back to the head of PR for Paramount and the head of PR from Paramount took a meeting with me and he said, Scott, nobody cares about the Star Trek property anymore. And as you know, today, Star Trek is the anchor for Paramount Plus. But at the time, they just finished uh, going through Star Trek uh, um, uh, Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and now they would introduced Enterprise maybe a little bit too quickly. 
uh, and it didn't have the same audience as the other shows. So this was going to be their last season. And we said, well, we still like to host an event. So Paramount donated their theater. We did a panel. We had Kevin Hart from Entertainment Tonight host this. And uh, we had more than 40 media members come to see the story. I mean, Paramount was thrilled and Sony was happy. And then the people who actually filmed the Star Trek property actually did a behind the scenes vignette for me. So in Vision, uh, I have to go on a business trip out to uh, New York to go visit the Sony uh, executives. And we're being told that we're going to be grilled in regards to what results that we got for them uh, from a PR perspective. And we got some decent stories, but it wasn't so overwhelming that they're going to be, you know, jumping for joy. So their president introduces me and I start off the presentation with a story. You know, before we go in and, and show you the results of the promotion that we did, I'd like to show you this vignette that was put together for us from the folks who do the behind the scene features for DVDs for Star Trek. And we showed them a video where the producer raved about the Sony cameras. The director raved about the Sony cameras. Scott Bakula raving about the Sony cameras. But it, as they were doing their talking, there were scenes of the show. There was comparison of film and digital next to each other. So the executives saw this. Their jaws were dropping. How much did you pay uh, Paramount to do this? Nothing. They believe in this. And then they use that DVD as a sales tool to go out in the field and show what Paramount was saying about their product. So there's some pretty cool stuff there uh, in process. And all of this was because of relationships and being able to share those stories. How do you build a relationship? We talked already about, you know, being a little bit personable. I don't know if anybody's a soccer fan. Wayne Rooney, who's one of the world's best soccer players, just recently retired. Uh, that's my daughter. You know, I got her on the field so she could meet Wayne Rooney. It was pretty cool. Uh, so, number one, we talk about building authentic relationships. How do you build authentic relationships? How to share a little bit about yourself. You have to share everything there is about you. No, but do you learn a lot if I told you I'm watching the final four? What you learn is Scott Pansky liked basketball. Scott Pansky liked college basketball. Scott Pansky was, thought that game was great. Those are three takeaways you get right off the bat that make me a little bit human. Uh, when you're talking to people is you're not selling all the time. You know, it, it's interesting when going to conferences, uh, I'll do a presentation. What I'll do is I'll draw the picture of a dollar bill and I'll put it over somebody's head and I'll say, okay, I want you to pitch them on your product and your services. And they start asking all the problems and questions that that person has so that they can solve the problem. It's the wrong approach. The first thing is, is to get to know the person first, because remember that person can be a parent. That person could like something that you like. You're at this event for the same reason. So you're building a relationship while you're there. And then it's a process. Do you have to sell right on the spot? No, I, I did this exercise once. And so it's a plane flying by over here. I did this exercise once. And this woman uh, commented me on me regarding a pair of shoes that I was wearing. And I, it was, I had comic book characters on a pair of leather shoes. And at the end of the presentation, there were one or two people who had good pitches. And I asked everybody who they thought won. And they pointed to these other people. And there's this one woman who did not vote on the person that people were voting for. And I said, why didn't you vote for him? 
And she goes, well, he brought me to this event. Oh, so you didn't vote for him because he brought you? There's bias there? She says, no, I've seen you do this before. And I'm like, okay, who wins? She says, the person who complimented you on your shoes. And I said, why? Because out of every presenter, the only one who tried to build a relationship with you was that woman. And I just spent a good 20 minutes talking about the importance of building relationships. So it, was, it wasn't just coming out of nowhere. So I just want you to kind of keep that in mind. So how do you build those relationships? Sometimes you're going to do referrals. Hey, I was thinking about you and I saw this and I wanted you to get this. You could offer to do something for free for somebody. Hey, I saw you were doing this. If you need any help, let me know. I've done this before. Hey, you know, I was thinking about you and I, I saw these ideas. Um, the next part uh, bullet there is where it says send trends. One of the things that's interesting is uh, I wanted to get Amazon's business. And I used to send Amazon Barnes and Noble clips uh, on a campaign that they were doing. I must have sent 15, 20 clips. Amazon called me up and said, Scott, we'd like to hire you. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, sharing those competitor stories, that works. If, and again, ideas to, are valuable to them. Uh, if you can have face-to-face -face meetings, that's what I love about Zoom. And that's why I've asked a lot of you to come off of your uh, black background. So I can see you. I can build a relationship with you during this time frame. I think you can kind of see just how JP and I have interacted in that process. So that becomes part of that program as well. Uh, sharing knowledge, I think that's self-evident at that stage. Uh, if you are on boards, charity boards, things of that nature, it's a great way to meet a lot of different people. Doing lunches and coffees doesn't cost a lot of money. Once we're out of this COVID and we're all vaccinated, you can go do these types of things. Uh, systems, emails, mail, cold calls. Number one, people don't get letters in the mail anytime anymore. So if you send them a letter, they're actually going to open it and look at it. Instead of getting a stack of mail, I got one and it's a personal note. I'm going to look at it. Email, you can establish some of these relationship tools inside of an email. There's no reason it can't be personal. Right now, if I got an email from any of you that said Cal Poly on it, right off the bat, I'm going to open it because I did a presentation for Cal Poly. So that to me has a return on investment. Cold calls are kind of tough. I like cold calls personally because if I'm really passionate about it, I want them to hear it in my voice. And worst case, they're going to say no or I can't get through. One more example, and teachers, uh, close your ears. Don't listen to what I'm going to share next. I didn't always like reading when I was in college, and I loved presenting. I enjoyed the presenting, and I remember I was in a case study class, and we were supposed to do research on all these case studies and then share it in class. And at the time, while I was in school, we didn't have the internet. So we had to go to the library and pull out microfiche uh, and study all this microfiche and get real magazines. That was too much work for me. And so what I did is, all right, they want me to do research on uh, Miller Beer. I called Miller Beer. I made a cold call to the head of PR of Miller Beer, said, I'm a student at San Diego State. I'm trying to get some information. And the guy sent me a press kit. And I went into class and I said, well, when I spoke to the head of PR for Miller Beer, he shared, boom, 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 boom. The teacher thought I was a genius. And I'm kind of like, no, I'm just freaking lazy. But I had that interaction. I actually had more knowledge than the other students had because I went to that distance to make the phone call. Uh, some of the other takeaways that I, I, I'd like you to take. Number one, use LinkedIn for your networking. All the people you're going to present to, check them out. If you know who the panel is going to be, understand 
where they are, where their background is. So that way you're prepared. I don't know if anybody looked at my LinkedIn for uh, today's presentation to get an idea of who I was. Uh, it tells some of the story. doesn't say as much as what I shared with you today, but you get to know me a little bit. You say, oh, this guy went to San Diego State. You might have a brother or a sister that went to San Diego State. We have that in common. Uh, if you see something about social impact or diversity that was on my LinkedIn, okay, that's something I could talk to Scott about because I know he's interested in those topics. So those are just things that you can have a conversation with somebody. I think that's really important, especially for informational interviews. And I can talk about that here towards the end. Um, don't be afraid to share your passion and personal experiences. I'm a big believer of putting hobbies and things in resumes because I get to know you, the person. Yes, I want to understand more about your skills and things of that nature, but I think it's really important that you stand out. People will remember you because of your stories. I don't know that you were a basketball fan or that you were a big uh, Netflix viewer. You know, we might have something in common. You know, when um, what was the uh, Netflix show that got all the press recently? It's won all kinds of awards. Uh, Queen's Gambit. There's people on this call who have watched Queen's Gambit. We've all been stuck in our houses watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. We could have a conversation probably of any of the top films because we've all watched it. Uh, invest that time in building those relationships with your professors. Look at how I got my job. It was a referral from a professor from Glenn Broom, but I got my resume built from a guest speaker in my class. Those things all come together to how I tell my story. Uh, always bring a new idea to every meeting you're going to, every presentation. If people are asking you questions, those are opportunities to throw out a new opportunity. Take risks. It's okay to go out there and let something, you know, give it a shot. It's like playing darts. At one point, you're going to throw a good dart, but you're going to have a bunch of bad darts going a lot of other places during a game. So, you know, take the shot. If you don't take it, you'll never make it, you know, that Wayne Gretzky quote. Uh, in today's environment, uh, the difference maker really can be anybody who has an idea. A student has an idea. Intern has an idea. An outside person has an idea. If it's a good idea, we can make something like that work. I, I work with several universities. They have PR labs. I actually bring corporations in to those schools as clients. Uh, just to help because the students are just as smart as we are. The difference between us and students is we have more real world experience, but you don't have that, but you have your personal experiences that I don't have that you can bring to the table. And the other thing that's really interesting is that when I have my ideas, I probably think like this now. You know, I've got reins on because I, I know what will work or won't work, or I've tried something and it didn't work. You're seeing it through fresh eyes. You haven't done it as long as I have. And now there are ways to make some of those things work that you're going to think through, right? Because I, I'm just not in those shoes. So I encourage you, just everybody you meet is a new relationship. It's part of your story. And you can take that moving forward. Um, next slide is uh, Kobe Bryant. And I'm a Kobe fan. And as I was putting together another presentation once, I saw this quote and I thought it was relevant. For this presentation. It's the one thing you can control. You're responsible for how people remember you or they don't. So don't take it lightly. They're going to remember you because of your stories and what you share, what kind of person you are in that process. My very last slide, and then I'll, uh, hopefully there's some questions and uh, we can talk. 
there. Whoosh, go back. Where did it go? Hold on a second. There we go. So last story. I showed you the Archie comic promotion that I did. Uh, so I became friends with the people of Archie. And one day uh, the editor and I are sitting down with a writer, independent writer. And he says, I have this idea to create a custom comic book uh, utilizing uh, Archie and Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen is Superman's best friend. And in the comic book, Jimmy Olsen is a redhead and had a bow tie, just like Archie. And as we're having dinner, I'm telling that writer, I said, no, Victor, editor, tell the writer your idea. And Victor starts sharing with the writer how Archie comes home from school one day and his parents have been killed. There's blood all over the house and Archie wants vengeance. And Archie's going to team up with the Punisher and that he's going to seek vengeance and get the killer. So Archie basically becomes Robin to Batman type of thing. Six months go by. I don't know anything. And they actually approach Marvel Comics to do a cross-promotion book. And they, there's actually a book out there called Archie Meets the Punisher. And as a thank you, the, they put me into the comic book. And I became Desk Sergeant Pansky. And uh, so I will live on forever and ever and ever in this comic book. And another writer for Archie Comics actually uh, put me in and I own a costume store. I've probably been in like six different issues of Archie Comics with my costume store. They put my kids in this, right? So you think that's the end of the story. You'd never hear anything again. Three weeks ago, this comes back. My daughter tells me that a friend of hers from school saw that her name was used on Riverdale. And they're, what? Yeah, the PR guy, his name is Sam Pansky. <laughs> what? And so they have a library of all the characters of Archie, which we're part of, and they actually used it in the Riverdale TV show. So I thought that was kind of cool. So with that, that's my story. And I'm going to stop uh, the sharing. And hopefully uh, uh, some of you all can come back on screen and uh, I can answer any questions about storytelling or about careers in PR, any of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm glad to help out. I, I do have a question. Oh, go ahead. No, please, after you. Go ahead. Um, Mr. Pansky, I was thinking, um, <clears throat> so when I'm doing my storytelling, right, if, um, if when, I'm, when I'm doing my storytelling and being that my, uh, my service, which is uh, cannabis education, is very controversial. Yep. Um, what's called uh, I run into situations sometimes where, when I start telling my story, I, I have to sometimes start or go get into the discrimination, the racism, pretty much like I guess the negative side of the storytelling. Right. To me, it's not negative because to me, it's what brought me to creating on the service, but I do notice that while I'm telling my story to some people, they seem like turned off, right? They seem like it's just, it's something that they don't want to hear. Um, what advice can you give? Because I feel like sometimes I'm not sure if I should separate that, if I should even go further in telling these stories. So what advice could you give when it comes to certain situations? Because I feel like it should be told. Have you seen uh, this book before? Um, I can't see it. You can't see it. This is not coming out clear enough. This is a graphic novel I just finished reading. It's uh, called Cannabis, The Illegalization of Weed in America. 
And uh, I didn't know the history of marijuana and, and uh, cannabis in this country till I read this book. You know, uh, with the movie 13th that came out in Black Lives Matter last year, uh, we've been doing a ton of education of our employees and really trying to make a difference. And when I read this book, I, I was horrified. And I'm seeing history repeat itself. And I've seen uh, how uh, we have treated people of color because of things that we have done, right? A lot of people don't know that story, but I think where you may want to take this, and again, I don't know the depth and breadth of what you've been sharing. So I apologize for my uh, lack of knowledge here. But one of the things I think you can do is talk about social justice. And don't, don't make it all about cannabis. Right now, one of the hottest topics is social justice. And that, that is a current topic, right? Health equity today is a hot topic. So that when we're looking at the uh, discretions, we're looking at what's happening to AAPI folks right now uh, and what's happening today. It's like we're getting all these marginalized audiences and at what are some of those things that are in common that led to the issues that got us here today. And so that your topic is actually very conversational if you're talking about things that are happening today. It's, it doesn't all have to be about cannabis, it be about social justice. And where does cannabis education fit in the social justice story, right? So if you can get your audience on the same page about what are the, some of the challenges facing our country today with social justice, and then it's cannabis isn't about uh, all of the negative stuff that's out there, right? It's medicinal and there's all different kinds of things that people are using cannabis for today. So then you have this positive story to share. And if you come back with positive information and the impact of what cannabis is having, now you have a balanced story about trends that we're seeing continuing to grow because more states are legalizing this every single day. So why is that? And people are going to be making a freaking fortune in this space because of what's going on. But it's, again, it's that education. I think that kind of storytelling can go a long way, but it's understanding, tying, tying it in to what we're seeing around us today and bringing that to life. Is, is, is that helpful? Yes, it is. Actually, now I'm starting to think, um, do you know, or have you ever have had workshops in storytelling? Me personally, what do you mean as far as doing workshops like that? Just, just something that so that um, like students like myself can start practicing in the art of storytelling so that I don't have to like so that whenever I'm storytelling, then I could get advice and then feedback and say, hey, you know what? You should kind of like start heading towards this way in storytelling, like how you mentioned about telling more of the positive side of um of uh of this topic such as in social justice so, so what i just did for you all was that version of this but let's say for instance uh if uh your cancer uh cannabis education program if you were my client we would do workshops for you to do just that right now one of the things that i, I love telling students if when i have time is i encourage all of you to get me on linkedin right is like Show me that you were in the workshop today. Show me that you cared. I review resumes all the time and I help people tell their stories 
to the audiences that they're talking to. So, you know, if I get on the phone with you, JP, for a half an hour, 45 minutes to help you think some of these things through, you know, like you give me more information than what I have right now. I don't mind, you know, donating a half an hour, hour here or there to help students out. You know, to me, uh, doing workshops like this and helping students get their career, uh, I love to do that. And uh, speaking of that, uh, just one little side thing. On April 21st at noon, April 21st at noon, we are doing a PR communications workshop uh, through San Diego State and the Broom Center. Uh, I'll send information on to Erskine with uh, all the information. We are going to have guest speakers from Southwest Airlines, UPS, uh, Oracle, and Walmart that will be taking questions uh, from students. I'll be moderating that panel. And then um, after that, uh, you know, the, the panels usually will take LinkedIn's and they'll meet with folks. And also one other location, if they haven't shared this with you yet, uh, for mentorship to get counsel in this space, uh, is a new website just started a few weeks ago, uh, netnetsynergy.com, netnetsynergy.com. It was started by a friend of mine uh, named Matt Prince, who works over at Taco Bell. And he basically said that he wanted to work with college students uh, to help them find mentors because mentorship is so important. And Matt and I had just come off of a panel together doing a mentorship program with uh, Taco Bell, Google, uh, Netflix, Disney, and Golan that uh, we ended up creating this website. And so what uh, it'll do is uh, there's more than 100 professionals that you can look at who are looking to mentee mentor mentees so you can pick somebody that looks interesting to you and they're also posting jobs on that website so it's a, a great uh tool for you all to look into as well awesome thank you could you also post the name of that book in the chat just so that i could take a look at that book and i added you onto linkedin by the way thank you <laughs> great uh i will post that in the chat right now there was another question while i'm uh posting yeah, that was me, um, Scott, uh, Gary Bohamid. I'm one of the um, executives that's helping Erkin with the Bronco Startup Challenge. I want to thank you for this today. It was fantastic. Um, thank you. I hope it was helpful. Yeah, I, I think it was. And um, I was wondering if you could talk just for a moment about, you mentioned in your building relationships slide, which was great, um, the importance of social associations, lunches and coffee and face-to-face -face meetings. My um, perception of the student body today versus our generation is that they hide behind their phones and they hide behind their computers and they don't come out for face-to-face -face meetings. What are you talking about? I don't see any faces <laughs> here. What are, what are you talking about? And um, when I give talks like this, I encourage the students to do exactly what you are encouraging them to do. And I was hoping that you could talk about that just a little bit, how it's okay to take a risk and, and show your face and shake a hand. So I'll share just a perspective and I'm going to share this from not my PR shoes, but I'm going to share it from my dad's shoes for a second. As I mentioned, I have a 22 year old and I have a 20 year old and both have had a lot of different experiences. I remember one stayed home uh, for school and had to do this type of thing from uh, home for her classroom back in Pennsylvania. Envision being in a classroom in which there's 20 kids 
and behind you is the big, huge screen. And my daughter's face is the only face on that screen. She was so embarrassed, did not want to participate, didn't even know how to ask a question because she just didn't, you know, she could only see the teacher's uh, side of an arm or something once in a while because she could hear the lecture, but he wasn't in front of a, a screen. So it, it made it really tough. And one of the things that happens, uh, uh, JP, can I pick on you? Are you okay if I pick on you for a second? Oh, uh, of course, yeah. All right. Don't take anything I'm saying personally, and I mean this sincerely. Nah, I'm is, good. What's JP wearing right now? JP's wearing a tank top. All right. Is that appropriate for a interview uh, setting if he was going to do an interview? The answer is probably not. Now, I know that I'm talking with students right now. You're in school. I expect all of you to be having shorts on, t-shirts, tank tops. It's hot out there. It's like, it's okay to be students. Uh, and that we're comfortable with that. One of the things too that I find is interesting, and I don't know if anybody's had this experience, is let's say I motivated you today and you wanted to write me an email. The stories I've heard from other students is this. This has got to be the perfect email. I'm going to spend the next half an hour writing the best email I can. I'm going to, I'm going to tell Scott, I, I really liked what he said about this and he liked about that. I'm interested in a job at his agency or I, I really want him to help me more about this. So, all right, I'm going to think about this and I'm going to rewrite this email and it's going to literally take me a half an hour or so. And then before I send it to Scott, Gary, I need help. Would you look at this email? Do you think this is appropriate to send to Scott before I go here? JP, you're my best friend. Would you look at this email before I send it to Scott? And it's taking an hour. If you would have just said, hey, Scott, enjoyed your presentation. I would love to talk with you. Boom, I'm going to respond right off the bat. Uh, one of my other daughters had an informational interview with one of my closest friends. And she was really nervous, really, really scared. She didn't prepare a lot of questions or anything in advance. She thought she would wing it. And she does it from her bedroom. And behind her is a mirror closet. And uh, I don't remember what she was wearing, but my friend started telling her things that were wrong, saying, you know, you might not want to see it sit in front of the mirror because I'm seeing the back of your head. I'm seeing this. You might want to do this. And my daughter came back after the interview in tears so upset you know she I, I didn't know what to ask her i wasn't prepared and she was telling me all these things were wrong and all like this and i want the students to have a thick skin i've been doing these types of presentations different topics uh probably to 20 different universities over the last two years and i, I have so much fun getting to know the students because i'm learning so much from you, just like those stories that I can help other students not fall in those traps. When I look at resumes and I help with resumes because I see the trends, I see how these are written. When I'm seeing you on this face or on this screen right now, my biggest relationship on this call is with JP. When JP reaches out to me, do you think I'm gonna respond? Answer is yes. Courtney, I can see you. I know you're there. But if I don't hear from you, right, I don't know what interests you. I don't know if, if what I'm saying, unless you're nodding or like this, I, I, I have to pick up on your body language. Simon, you've been here the whole time. So I can pick up on that. But that's for us, that's probably the only equity we want from you is to know that you're engaged because we want to help. And what you're going to see with most of the people you talk to, they all want to help. 
that's the biggest thing. They really, really want to help you. And, th- and that's important. Especially because they're students and they're not a threat or they're not trying to take business from them, right? They just, no. they're, they're looking for guidance and help. And, and let me give you one more tip because of that, Gary. It's a great lead for this one. Informational interviews. Don't look for jobs. Have informational interviews. You want the job with those folks, right? I'm not taking away from that. But ask for informational interviews. And if it's an alumni from Cal Poly, 90% of them is going to talk to you because they're an alumni. If you're super passionate about something, don't accept a job for the sake of getting a paycheck. Go after things that you really want and ask for informational interviews. And one of four things is going to happen in that interview. The first one is, I really liked you. You, it was a great conversation. There's no pressure on me in an informational interview to be formal. I can be Scott and answer any question you have, where if it's a real interview, so tell me, what did you do here? What did you do here? I, I'd like to understand this. And then I'm, I'm already stereotyping you somewhere because of that interview. Whereas if it's informational, I'm getting to, to know you. If I like you and I know we're hiring, I can refer you to someone in my company. If I really like you and we're not hiring, but I know we're going to be hiring in the next three, four, two months is stay in touch with me so that I can give you this opportunity. Because if you don't stay in touch with me, I've already forgotten about you because I've talked to three other groups of students. So because I told you to stay in touch, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm not blowing you off. I'm telling you, I think you'd be a good fit somewhere in our company down the line when a position is available. I like you. We're not hiring. I don't have anything coming down the line, but you know what? I know a ton of people. I just told you about NetNet Synergy. That's going to introduce you to a hundred other professionals that you have the potential of networking with asking for informational interviews because they're telling you already they want to serve as mentors. So that's a good thing. And the fourth thing, which is probably the most valuable out of all of those, and what's more valuable than getting a job? We talked about the importance of storytelling. Here's what's really important here. What you're going to do is this, is you're going to do really great and you've learned that you could do this. Number two, you were horrible. You had a bad interview and you could have done this better and done this better. You've learned because you did it. So you're going to do better in the next interview that you've got. The other thing you might learn is after listening to me speak uh, or talk to me on the phone, you didn't like how I sounded. You didn't like what I said. And you say, God, thank God I'm not working for that company. You know, I didn't like that guy. Uh, So you're learning a lot by taking those risks and getting to know people. And again, it's that Wayne Gretzky quote, if you don't take a shot on goal, you'll never make the goal. So it's worth at least taking a shot. Thank you, Scott. That was great. Appreciate it. No problem. It's my pleasure. Any last questions? question um how would you go from connecting to your presentation like if you wanted to sell that water bottle and you were talking about basketball and they had like no correlation whatsoever how would you how would you move to your point great question all right so you flop nobody watched basketball at all over the weekend great you know it was fun you you missed out but let me tell you uh, in the process for basketball, one of the things, the reason I share that story is because it's water bottles used oftentimes for sports. And in that case, for the water bottle, I'll transition because there's a connection to sports. Now, I might have chosen to talk about um, 
the bachelor or, you know, a reality TV show that's on because a lot of people are watching those type of shows too. Uh, it may be a, a Disney channel, you know, like one of the new shows that come up from Marvel or star Wars, because you'll see a lot of people watch those types of shows. If I flop and nobody's interested in any of those things, then what I fall back on still in part of all of this, excuse me, is my family, my friends, relationships, Things that still share a little bit about me because I want them at the end of the day in a presentation, they're not buying the bottle because there's lots of bottle companies and they're not that different, but they are going to purchase from you because they like you. If you do a presentation, here's an example, uh, politics, Hillary Clinton and Obama. What's the difference when you see them present in a room? What are some of the big things you see? Color. Pardon? Color. You have a person of color, person not. Gender. Gender. Family. Family, meaning when you think of family, you think of Obama. Yeah. Got the daughters, they're young, where Hillary has a daughter who's a lot older. Okay, what else do you think about? Here's here's my oh go ahead. I would say background like history, kind of like already already knowing that uh, Hillary is has like those ties with her husband, so it kind of like I'm not sure if it damages her reputation in a way. Uh, yes, you can have that, but here's the biggest difference for me out of all of this, and you could probably even throw Trump in on this uh, in some process too. Do you notice that? Hillary Clinton like never smiles. Her body language is always very tight. Whereas Obama is kind of loose. He'll roll up his sleeves and talk. Obama and Trump both have a lot of charisma. They get the audience engaged in what they say and do. Doesn't matter your politics. I'm not taking one side over the other. But what it is, is they engage their audience. When you smile, it means something to somebody. Like when we're talking on the phone, like I, I hope you see me smile as I'm sharing some of the stories of things that I care about. You could tell that those stories had impact on me. Why am I still sharing those stories today when those are things that happened to me years ago? I could share current stories with you, but I shared things that I thought would be relevant to you because those are things that happened to me when I was a student that are still things that you can do today. Uh, so, uh, Courtney, I think that's part of it is how do they get to know you? Like, why did you make the blue water bottle in the first place? Why was that important to you? You know, as a family person, that's your story. You know, as our group was talking about the best products to make, you know, we found that we were all thirsty one day. And then we were talking about how bad the current water bottles are on the market. And so we started thinking, what could we do differently? And then all those story points that were in the presentation, you could pull from that. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Any other question? Hey, Scott. Yes, sir. Simon. Um, in, you know, going back to the building relationships and, you know, the whole lunches and coffees, you mentioned this briefly about, like, having some presence in those kinds of relationships and not being behind the screens. Um, given the 
landscape of what our you know environment is with technology moving forward and the way that communication and networking has changed through the years yep um how do we, what do you see is the best way to kind of purge through so much data of people when you're looking for talent like and connecting like real connection because some a lot of times that i'm experiencing in my workplaces i'm trying to find the best candidates for work but it's always in a very like it's I feel like I'm very dismissive at times because there's just so much information data about people and their credentials and degrees. And Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. Number one for all the students is make sure your social media is clean. Yeah. For, I'm going to go on the, that side first and I'll take the other side is uh, I remember we were doing an essay contest and the essays were pretty weak. So we went through all the social media people and uh, one of my daughters, it's funny, one of the folks of the college students, uh, she was wearing a bikini, had a bottle of tequila in her hand, sitting on a guy's shoulder in a pool. Not the kind of image that you want if you're trying to do something professional. So there's a place for personal and there's a place for professional. So I encourage you, even how you tell your stories in your professional environment is helpful uh, because I, I can see that. So Simon, you're looking that if I can share more real things with you on my LinkedIn, that mm -hmm. might make me look more interesting based on the stories that I like or that I forward uh, to the clubs and organizations that I'm engaged with. That tells you something about me uh, in the process. Now, if you're looking for people uh, and you're going the other way, is to me is I try and find specific positions of authority that I look for and weed it out. Uh, so that I'm going to find VPs and above in the positions of who folks I want to talk to. Like if I'm going to pitch a new business or something of that nature. I look for connectivity. Do we know people that we have in common? And you know what? I may call that person, not the person I'm looking up, but my friend. And I said, hey, I saw this person. Uh, I saw we're mutually connected. Do you know them? And if they have an authentic relationship with them, you know, I'd love to get some insight. This resume looked really good. Uh, what do you think? And, oh yeah, that person's so reliable. I, I've known that person for years. Oh, that person did this. I, I find, again, this is one of those powers of relationships. A lot of people are going to do that today. They're not going to just rely on, you know, what they see online. They'll follow up with the connections. Thank you. That did that answer your question? Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Anything else? You know, um, you mentioned that was called, you should go back into your social media and take a look and basically make it look professional. Because um, sometimes people may look into it and I guess judge you from what from the content you have on there. You know, right. that's something I, I've always heard too as well. And I've always been judged for being a cannabis user. And they would always tell me, especially back then when cannabis wasn't legal, that um, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't be promoting any cannab cannabis usage because I will be judged. And I was, you know, I was judged many a times because of my cannabis usage. And, you know, especially in this white patriarchal world where, you know, they, 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 they want you to be conservative and look, look a certain way. But I've, you know, I've, I've stuck to my, I guess I stuck to my ways and continued on with my cannabis usage and promoting it. And here we are now 
where it's more acceptable. So um, I feel like in some ways, you know, some things do work and some things don't work. Like how you brought up that uh, example of the lady in the bikini and drinking. I mean, I'm sure it won't work in the in the ways that I guess for 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 the event that you guys were looking for. But what if she was what what if she was working or what if she was uh trying to work for some kind of alcohol company or party company or an event, then it would be something that would be accepted more correct maybe maybe it depends you know it's uh i'll give you a story uh i uh was uh, pitching denny's denny's is one of our corporate clients and when i was uh going into the denny's meeting one of the things you know i really wanted their business and i started thinking about my connection to denny's and here's i'm a family person you see that on, on my stuff and I know we'd been to Denny's several times. So when I went into the meeting, the first thing I did was tell Denny's stories. And then I actually looked in my uh, camera roll and I had a photo of the family at a Denny's restaurant. And I threw that photo in there. So if it's a specific company or if it's a company that's going to have a lot of partiers or something and it makes sense, I'm not discounting using it. But you have to keep in mind if I'm applying for 20 jobs and that's just one of 20. I don't know that. Now you are what I'm hearing. And again, I'm, I'm not being judgmental at all, just from what you've shared so far is this is part of your personal brand. It's something you really care about. So while we're checking you out, I'm not checking you out for these other things. I'm checking you out because of cannabis. And that's where I want to work with you because it's cannabis, right? If I check you out and you did all these other things that had nothing to do with cannabis at all, you may lose credibility in the cannabis space, but there's so many different job openings and job programs in the cannabis community that should help you if that's where you want your job. For me, it's like the comic book stuff I showed you. I remember I had several comic book clients and I was actually offered a job at a comic book company. There was a deciding figure why I didn't put comic books all over the place except sharing them in these stories. That uh, I was talking with my partner and when I was offered a job at a comic book company, and he said, Scott, what's your next job going to be? I said, what do you mean? Well, you're going to be a PR person or a marketing person at this uh, company. And now you're going to go somewhere else. And where, where's your job going to be? I couldn't answer the question. So it was like, all right, that's probably not the right job for me. And so I didn't take it. As much as it would be fun because I love comic books, I didn't see a career path for me in that industry based on what I was doing. Now, who knows? I could be the president of a comic book company today if I had done that. But on the flip side, I, I you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good uh, working at our, our PR firm. So I'm happy here. Got you. So pretty much figure out, figuring out that balance and, and being prepared ahead of times according to what you're seeking for. Correct. So got you. Got that's, you. That's, that's the key. Uh, and by the way, I just wanted to add on to the relationship. I, I guess Gary's not on here anymore either. It looked but... like he dropped. Yeah, the only reason why I feel like here I am in front with the video on participating is because I'm hungry. You know, I come from a poor background where uh, poor education, really no money to a point where all this stuff that I'm doing is pretty much on my own. Even now, I, I don't have support from my parents or nothing. So it's it's pretty much do or die. I've been arrested. I've been locked up. 
I've, I've, you know, I went the wrong way to a point that I realized that if I didn't change my ways, that things weren't going to work out for me in the future, or I wasn't going to have a future. So thankfully, I, I went through a leadership program that changed my life. And ever since that, um, I made things happen. So now it's like, I, I'm stop there. I'm, stop there, JP. Stop yeah. there for a second. Thank you for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. The reason I stop JP for everybody on this call is he just shared an authentic story. I want you to think about as he shared that, and I'm now trying to change my life and I want to make a difference. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Everybody has a story similar, not necessarily his story, obviously, but there's something that created an impact in your life to cause you to go to school, to do the major that you're majoring in and the directions that you want to go. Uh, Jason, that mentor program that you took, for me, that's what I would call probably for you is your aha moment. And that you had that moment that changed your life. My aha moment was meeting a famous baseball player, a guy named Pete Rose. uh, And that I did an interview with Pete and there's a huge story behind getting the interview, but that led to me learning about journalism and PR because I never heard of this field when I was, you know, uh, out of high school. So this taught me something new and how to utilize the skills I was learning in school with English and whatnot to apply it towards PR. Uh, so J- uh, JP, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share. So I definitely appreciate it as well. So, yeah. So, but that's the reason why I was, uh, just opening up and sharing it's because now it's like, I really want, not only do I want to win the competition, but it's more like I want to build my legacy. So to me, it's like, I got this message, want to share it, want to make it happen. And I want it to keep continuing even after I pass away. There you go. Well, good luck. I hope you do great in the presentation. Uh, any other questions before we call it a day? Well, I know not everybody participated, but I I hope that you got something out of this. Uh, If you want to link in, I encourage you to go ahead and link in and um, good luck in your competition and, and what you're doing. I hope everybody enjoys. Have a great day.